City of Hope, named by U.S. News and World Report as one of the top cancer hospitals in the country for the 11th year, brings you City of Hope Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. Researchers in the Department of Population Sciences at City of Hope are working to better understand the causes of cancer, including hereditary, genetic, and environmental factors that may influence a person's risk of developing cancer. My guest today is Dr. James Lacey. He's an associate professor at City of Hope's Division of Cancer Etiology and a member of the Cancer Control and Population Sciences Program. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lacey. Tell us a little bit about what actually we hear about a million different types of cancer. What is cancer? What is cancer? It's a good question. Cancer is abnormal growth of the normal cells in our body. And what is supposed to happen as we go through life is our, our cells, our organs, our systems are naturally growing and dying, and there's an ordered process to that. If the cells continue to grow uncontrolled, then that becomes cancer. And that uncontrolled growth is what causes the problems we associate with cancer. We hear about many different causes, risk factors, things out there that can cause cancer. Tell us what you, studying etiology for a living and an expert, find as some of the most main causes and most main risk factors for cancer. When we refer to cancer, we're really talking about a collection of different cancers, each cancer that occurs in a different tissue of the body. For example, breast cancer versus lung cancer is slightly different. Nonetheless, there are a few common risk factors that tend to affect a lot of cancers. One that most people have heard about is smoking. Even though fewer people are smoking today, smoking is still a major cause of lung cancer and other cancers. Two other ones that people hear about for good reason are exercise and obesity. We're learning more and more about how obesity can increase the risk of a whole range of cancers and exercise as well both because of its ability to maintain a healthy body weight and because of some of the mechanisms in the body, exercise seems to reduce some uh, risks of cancer. What role does genetics play? People always want to know family history, and if somebody in your family has lung cancer or lymphoma or breast cancer, does that mean that you are at higher risk for most of these cancers? Do most of them follow a genetic line? We've known for years that Almost every cancer is a combination of genetics and environment. And what's been really exciting in research for the last 20, 30 years is we've got much better tools now to measure the genetic component of it. Family history is one thing that captures some of that genetic risk. If a woman has a mother who had breast cancer and an aunt who had ovarian cancer, those combinations of the same types of cancers within a family, within two or three generations, tell us as researchers that there are some strong genetic influences on those cancers. Now, on the whole, genetics are really, I would say, the primary cause uh, for a subset of all cancers. For the majority of cancers that occur among older adults, it's really a combination of genes and environment. And that's where some of the work we're doing is trying to tease out the specific effect of, uh, say, genetics plus smoking or genetics plus obesity, to determine what's going on there. We hear so much about diet 
nutrition. These foods are, you know, carcinogenic. These foods cause cancer. These foods don't. These foods cause, you know, fight cancer, help fight cancer. Tell us a little bit about diet nutrition. Where are we going in the field of diet and nutrition toward cancer? This has been a fascinating part of our research to watch. At the broad level, uh, if you compare populations with certain kinds of diets to populations that tend to eat different kinds of diets, you can see some distinct and real differences in the risk of cancer. So it appears that some of those differences are real and they can turn into significant differences in cancer risk. We also know that you know, the purpose of diet is to give our body and our cells the energy that it needs to keep living and dividing and and growing. And at a simplistic level, the better food we eat, the better energy those cells have. And there's a third level as well. Particular nutrients, micronutrients, macronutrients, vitamins can have specific effects on some of those mechanisms in the body. So how well can our cells pick up, repair, and fix uh, little changes that might turn into cancer. So what we see in diet is there's an attempt both to understand what does a specific vitamin or mineral or type of food do, and also at the broader level, what do patterns or types of activities uh, mean for a person's cancer risk. So then when we're looking at all of those and we're thinking about carcinogens that are just part of our environment, so obviously other, you know, places you see less cancer based on their environment or where they eat or how much activity that they get in a day. But if you live in a city and you're taking the bus and you're standing by the train, are you exposing your body to more of these carcinogens, Dr. Lacey, and thereby increasing your risk? Yes and no. And that's where we get into the issue of how do we balance these risks or understand the risks and the benefits. We're exposed to those types of risks every day in our normal activities. And not everything we eat at breakfast is good for us. Not everything we eat at breakfast is bad for us. The body is very good at both utilizing the energy we give it and also controlling those risks that you talked about. So even if we breathe in a little bit of exhaust from a bus that passes us on our walk to work in the morning, the lungs and the immune system have a very good way of taking those pollutants, so to speak, and sort of wrapping them up in the immune system and kicking them out so that they don't affect our body. Think of the body as having a very good defense mechanism. What we see, though, is that sometimes either the volume of the risks that impact our body, and the tobacco smoking is a good example of this. If someone is smoking cigarettes for 10 years, it overwhelms the body's ability to manage and control and get rid of those pollutants. And so that's one of the ways that can increase a person's risk of cancer. So then if we're exposed to all of these things and our body's immune system is able to generally fight it off. I mean, that must be true because the whole entire population doesn't have cancer. What about things like radiation, naturally occurring radiation, or the radiation that we're getting from a mammogram or some of these, you know, annual exams, an x-ray? Do any of those contribute? When you say contribute, we can answer at a theoretical level and say yes. But 
I think it's much more useful to then take that theoretical yes and turn it into specific information that people can use. What we're seeing in the radiation field, and take mammograms for breast cancer, for example, is an ability to quantify those risks. And then we can tell the public, we can tell individual patients, this is a very small risk, and we think the benefits outweigh the risk. Or we can say this is maybe a risk that should uh, lead to some differences in behavior. For mammograms, the benefits of early detection of cancer, and that's really what a mammogram is supposed to do, find those breast cancers before we would be able to diagnose them in a clinical setting. So early detection leads to better outcomes. It reduces a person's risk of dying of cancer, and it tends to detect the cancer at a stage when it's still treatable. For mammograms, there is a small amount of radiation involved with those mammograms. And a wealth of research has shown that if mammograms are given to the right population at the right frequency, that increases the ability to achieve early detection, then the overall radiation that that group is exposed to is small and it's an acceptable risk because the benefits outweigh that risk. Dr. Lacey, in just the last few minutes, if you would, give the listeners your best advice for where you think the horizon of cancer control, prevention, diagnosis, where that's going, and why they should come to City of Hope for cancer care. Control, prevention, and diagnosis. If we could control all of those things, we'd be in good shape. But we're making real progress on each of those. Prevention still comes down to a lot of individual decisions. And it's some things we've all heard of. Don't smoke, eat a healthy diet, exercise regularly, get cancer screening, don't be out in the sun too much without sunscreen, uh, and know your family history. The goal of all that information is to help people prevent cancers that might otherwise occur. Uh, So consistently engaging in those healthy behaviors, consistently getting recommended screening exams are good ways to prevent cancer from appearing too late. On the diagnostic front, a lot of the work at City of Hope is targeted at trying to detect those cancers earlier. And then once we know what those cancers are, find the specific types. What at the cellular level is driving those cancers? And that's where a lot of the focus then is taking that knowledge about the nuts and bolts of cancer and then using that to develop targeted therapies. We're seeing that work in a number of cancers. And there's a whole lot of excitement among the field right now that this approach can be expanded to a a number of other cancers and improve cancer control at the population level. Thank you so much. It's great information. You're listening to City of Hope Radio. For more information, you can go to cityofhope.org. That's cityofhope.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.